Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Michigan voters go to the polls in just a few short weeks. The top of our ticket this year is the race for governor, and today we are joined by the Democratic nominee for that office, Gretchen Whitmer. Gretchen, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Yes. Uh, also, we would love to hear from you your questions for the Democratic nominee for governor here in Michigan. Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Gretchen, it's pretty late in the campaign. We have just a few weeks before Election Day, and there has been a lot of discussion about the issues that are on the table, the things that you and uh, your opponent, your primary opponent, uh, Bill Schutte, who is the Republican nominee, uh, might do if, if you're elected. I want to start the conversation in a little bit of a different place, though. So you have picked up endorsements of some prominent current and former Republicans in the state, former state senator and uh, Congressman Joe Schwartz and Richard McClellan, who has worked for both Rick Snyder and John Engler. They are both supporting you rather than support the Republican uh, nominee for governor. But in Lansing, you're going to need support from current Republicans in our legislature to get things done. So I want to ask you about the working relationships you have with current Republicans in Lansing. And by current Republicans, I guess I mean people who are likely to be around after the November elections, people who will be part of the legislature in January. Can you talk about what those relationships look like? Sure. I think that's a great question, Stephen. I mean, we know that you can get elected on the fringe, but you can't govern from there. And that's why I'm always very mindful of the fact that it's going to be incumbent on me to build relationships um, across the aisle, build relationships with people who are not traditionally find themselves in the Democratic Party. And that's why I've really worked hard, whether it's business leaders for Whitmer or it's the Republicans and independence group that came together. I'm, I'm proud of that because I am a consensus builder and I had a lot of great success working with Rick Snyder on some important issues like Medicaid expansion or uh, the lighting uh, project in Detroit. And I think we've got a lot of work yet to do. So as I look at what the legislature, um, the, what the makeup could be, we obviously will not know until after the election, but uh, Senator Mike Shirky is someone that I worked with on Medicaid expansion. He mm-hmm. is um, running to be the leader of the Republican caucus in the Senate, and yeah. he's someone that, that I've known and that I think I can find a good working relationship with. But one of the interesting things is, you know, I served with three different governors during my time in the legislature, and you can't underestimate the power of a quadrant meeting, and that's a governor convening the leaders of the four caucuses and having a regular conversation. And that's not really been done with regularity since John Engler was governor, and that's something I'm eager to create and see through and and, and do. It doesn't mean we'll agree on everything, but mm-hmm. um, you can find common ground if you're talking to one another, and that's something I think is really important. Uh, let's talk about tax structure here in Michigan. Uh, Bill Schuette is is making a lot of the changes to taxes that were made when Rick Snyder was elected eight years ago here in Michigan and promising more in terms of uh, tax cuts, uh, things that he would like to get rid of in terms of the way that the state takes money out of our pockets for services. Uh, you want to push in the opposite direction. 
Uh, talk about why you think that's a good idea, uh, given the growth, the economic growth that we've seen over the last eight years, uh, and talk about what you would do uh, with the money that would be raised from from uh, changing the tax structure. So one of the things that I know is whether I'm talking to business people or heads of household, whether I'm talking to youpers or those of us who live in the Lower Peninsula, um, West Side or Southeast Michigan, people want us to solve problems. And some of the most glaring issues we have to confront as a state is the fact that our education system is now considered in the bottom 10 in our country, that our roads and infrastructure, it's making it downright dangerous, as well as um, a competitive disadvantage for us as a state when we try to tell the world we're the edge in mobility and advanced manufacturing, but you get off the airport at Detroit Metropolitan and get on, on the highway and you see that the roads are crumbling and we're all paying to fix our cars instead of actually attacking the problem, which is rebuilding our, our road infrastructure in Michigan. And so I think it's um, critical that we make these investments that we all benefit from. Our business climate benefits as well as our household incomes will rise when we've got a better education system and infrastructure that will um, support our commerce as well as keep our families safe on the road. And so I think this is a, a fundamental difference. Um, we're all paying for bad roads. We're paying to fix our cars. The average metropolitan Detroiter pays over $800 a year, whether it's replacing rims or windshields. And uh, none of those none of those dollars goes into actually fixing the problem. It's getting more and more expensive every day we don't do it right. And mm -hmm. so when my opponent says he's going to cut taxes, he has no plan for how he will balance the budget, much less fix these fundamental problems. He says the right things. He says he wants to fix the roads, but when he um, offers pr proposals that'll make it even more difficult to do that, it's just not honest, it's not real, and, and I think we deserve better. So road funding, uh, that you've made a, a lot of that issue, and, and uh, for good reason. I mean, everybody is, I think, sick of rattling around in their cars and bumping, bumping to work and uh, to school and things like that. I want to get uh, your very specific sort of explanation of how you would do that, what you would, uh, what you would do to raise the money to fix the roads, uh, and and how you would uh, how you would pay for it? So let's talk about that. So the average motorist is spending hundreds a year to fix our cars. We are paying a road tax that doesn't actually fix the fix the roads, and that's why you know when Governor Snyder tried to push this through, I worked with him and I cast some tough votes when I was in the legislature. I was the Senate Democratic leader. I worked across the aisle with my Republican counterpart and with the governor. We cast votes on user fees to actually fix the problem, and the governor was unable to get the Republican-controlled House of Representatives to even put that vote before the legislature, and it failed. And they cobbled together that, you know, that proposal that went down miserably um, at the polls, and so here we are. We still don't have a real fix. My plan is to create a Mich Rebuild Michigan Infrastructure Bank so taxpayers know Every dollar is actually going into fixing our infrastructure. I will write in the first budget $2 billion, which 
leverages another billion from the federal government, which means we can get to work rebuilding roads. And I will make use of a lot of those votes that I cast during my time in the legislature. But I acknowledge this legislature could look very different. The environment could look very different. And so what the individual pieces will be, I think, um, will to some extent depend on, on kind of what the legislature's appetite is. If I can't get them to take those tough votes, I'm confident that I can because I'm going to build a coalition with business, with individuals, with um, you know leaders from both sides of the aisle to get it done. But if the legislature is too weak to do it, then we'll go straight to the people and pass a bond if we have to because not fixing the problem is not an option. We're going to pay dearly um, in the safety of our people or in our inability to draw um, investment into Michigan, and, and that's why we've got to get it done. But I want to add one more layer of concern here. You know, when you see those bridges that have temporary support, some of them have over 400 temporary supports. Those are bridges that are uh, school buses are crossing with students in them. When you talk to a woman like I did in Ann Arbor not long ago, she had an aneurysm, and the ambulance came, picked her up, and of course, time is of the essence, but they took a longer route to the hospital because they didn't want to go over a pothole-ridden road because it would endanger her more. This is the, the kind of daily risk we are taking by not tackling this problem, and, and business and individuals alike need a governor and a state government that, that fixes it. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Your questions for Democratic nominee for Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Let's start with Ed in Shelby Township. Ed, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Hey. I have two financial questions. Go ahead. Will you maintain the Michigan Rainy Day Fund at its current level, and will you continue to spend, or excuse me, will you continue to pay down Michigan's long-term debt? Uh, Ed, uh, thanks very much for the call and the questions, Gretchen Whitmer. Those are two priorities from the Snyder administration, which rebuilt up the Rainy Day Fund after years of it being pretty low. Uh, and he also concentrated a lot of financial resources on making sure long-term debt for school districts uh, and and uh, for the state were, were being paid down. What would your approach look like? Well, I think that, you know, both of those are important goals, and I share those goals. I recognize that we've got some glaring um, issues that we've got to confront as a state. The people of Flint still, you know, a lot of people in Flint still cannot drink the water coming out of their tap. I was there a couple months ago, and I spoke with a mom who pulled up her sleeve and showed me the raging rash on her arm, and she had just taken a shower that morning. She'd only showers a couple times a week because she breaks out that way every time. She's got four kids. Same thing happens to them. I mean, we've got some crises that are happening in our state, and I'm I'm concerned about that. The quality of our drinking water, whether it is Flint or this PFAS um, issue that is chemical that is leaching into drinking water. It's in 15 out of 83 counties. It's probably, we're just finding how big it is. And I think these are, are things that I'm really very worried about. And so while I am um, philosophically uh, absolutely supportive of having a rainy day fund, it's, it's important for us as a state. I recognize that clean drinking water is a fundamental human right. And a lot of communities don't have it right now here in Michigan. And that's why 
I think as a transition happens, when you pull back the curtain on state government and find out what you're really walking into, it's important to acknowledge that there could be things we learn that are going to necessitate swift action and uh, and perhaps a emergency action, and, and that's what that rainy day fund is for. Right. That being said, I'd like to continue to have it there and build it up. It's good for our credit rating and our ability to borrow, but um, a credit rating is no good. You know, it, it's not nearly as important as clean drinking water yeah, is for I mean, people that's an important, in their homes. That's an important balancing exercise. Uh, for for whoever's governor to go through, and different governors have approached it different ways. I guess to sort of boil it down to to, to the sort of bottom line, what do you think is a is a minimum level uh, to to maintain in that rainy day fund? It has it has gotten to the point where it was almost gone in in our recent past. Uh, what's what what's your bottom number? I guess uh, for that rainy day fund. Well, I, obviously, I think we have to talk with our finance people and um, balance our, our immediate needs. I, I think that's what determines what that minimum number is. I mean, um, we have seen it grow, and I did support some of the deposits into it. You know, about $500 million, I think, was when we saw it really had made a difference in our credit rating. But mm-hmm. I think that this is... Um, this is something that there's not a finite number that means we're we're safe and and that it's it won't impact our credit rating and and that it gives us enough um, to address the the glaring day to day problems that we're facing as a state. So um, I, I think that it's important that we have a thoughtful uh, plan. We're we're talking with our lenders and we are um, really um, very cautious when it comes to taking any of those dollars out. Okay. Uh, A listener on Instagram wants to know if you support Medicaid for all. So one of the things that I'm really um, proud of, the work that I was able to do in the legislature, you know, I was a Senate Democratic leader and I worked across the aisle with Rick Snyder to deliver on Medicaid expansion. I always give him credit for that. Um, It was not an easy thing for a Republican governor to do with the legislature that he had, but uh, Rick Snyder looked at what it would mean for Michigan and embraced it. And when he did that, I came right, you know, to his side and and crossed the aisle and worked very closely to make sure we got it done. And it's a good thing. We still have six hundred thousand people in our state that don't have health care, and we need to work to make affordable, quality health care available for everyone. Medicare for all, you know, has been bandied about on the federal level, and um, as the feds proceed, if if they um, are able to get that done, that's something that I would, I really would be pleased to see because that means we could get everyone covered, and that's the goal. Uh, we also have uh, a question from a listener to uh, WKAR in East Lansing. Uh, what is the biggest issue that you see facing education right now, and what would you do to fix it? Well, that's that's the the hardest and most important question for a lot of us parents. You know, I've got kids in the public schools, and you know, I, I look around at, I speak to their teachers to people who are parapros in our schools, people that dedicate themselves to education, we have got a a number of crises on the education front. And obviously, when our literacy rates put us in the bottom 10 in this country, we all pay a price for that. So I think it's really important that we've got um, put a 
put a real priority on lifelong education in Michigan again, from cradle to career, that we invest in universal early childhood education so that every kindergartner comes in ready to learn. That we triple the number of literacy coaches because we know that if you're not literate by the end of third grade, um, that's one of the fundamental um, points where um, people determine whether or not they're going to need to build more prisons is based on a literacy rate at the end of third grade. Determine your lifelong health and your lifelong wealth, whether or not you're literate. And that's why I think we've got to do less and obsess about doing it well. means supporting people who go into education. We've got too few people that are pursuing careers in the profession of education because they've been demoralized and demeaned and attacked, um, and their voices haven't been a part of decision-making when it comes to policies coming out of the Capitol. And that's one of the things that I think is going to be crucial to us turning this around as well, is um, treating educators with respect and making sure that their voices are a part of of the debate and decision-making that happens around the education of our kids because they are the experts. Uh, we've got a caller who wants to talk about Garland Gilchrist, who's uh, your uh, lieutenant governor, running mate, uh, and the stories that we've seen in the last week about this house that he bought here in uh, Detroit, this apartment building, small apartment building, uh, out of the land bank, uh, and has not been able to to take care of that the way that the land bank really requires owners to take care of that property. Uh, I wonder what you make of uh, that that issue uh, with with Garland Gilchrist and what you make of, I guess, the, the, the greater context here, which is the question of how we revitalize cities like Detroit and, of course, how we hold people responsible uh, for their property. Sure. Well, I appreciate the question. You know, um, one of the things that anyone who's met Garland Gilchrist knows, he loves Detroit. He moved back to Detroit and wanted to raise his kids in the city. He and his wife, um, his wife who works for DPS, um, you know, really made a commitment to becoming a part of the community. And when he was on the mayor's team, um, he made, you know, an op- took an opportunity to buy a piece of property and his hope was to invest and, and turn it around like so many people that are doing that in the city of Detroit. It's a great, it's a great thing. Um, he, of course, like a lot of people, hit some financial road bumps and uh, things got a little off track. He is working very hard to make it right and I'm confident that he's going to. But I think that this is one of those issues that is not... Um, foreign to a lot of us, right? Um, You're trying to do the right thing and road bumps happen. And the question of of character is, do you take ownership over it and try to make it right? And that's exactly what Garland's doing. And I'm I'm glad for that. I think, you know, we've seen so many um, cynical politicians try to turn stories like this into something, you know, something ugly. And um, I, I think it's unfortunate. I, my opponent is really um, been relentless about this, but I think it's also to detract from all the misuse that he's made of his office over the years. As in his own primary, Brian Kelly pointed out that he was using um, state employees to execute documents to sell a $7 million property of his yeah. for him and his I actually, sisters. I, I mean, actually don't so. really want to talk about Bill Schutte. We're going to have him on next week. Let's let him talk about him. Let's let you talk about you. I, I guess the question about Garland, though, is in, in part, 
Is he getting preferential treatment? Did he get some preferential treatment in the sense that the land bank did not come in and and repossess that property from him? I think that's the concern that uh, that lurks in the back of this this issue. I think some of the safety valves failed, and um, I can't you know opine as to to what it was that happened, but it does appear that you know some of the um, deadlines should have been enforced and met, and I don't know how or where that fell through the cracks, but I can tell you that with um, the situation that is is present now, he is working extremely hard to make it right, and um, I think that's that is that's what character looks like. Yeah. Okay, let's go to Ben in Auburn Hills. Ben, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Hey, Ms. Whitmer. Um, I'd like to have you on the show. Um, I just have a few questions. I'm, a, I'm in the shop up here in Auburn Hills, so it may be a little loud in the uh, background. <laughs> okay. But uh, first um, concern is uh, car insurance. Um, I'm from out of state, and I was, I was floored when I realized how much you all pay in car insurance up here. And if you have any proposals to um, amend that or reform it in these, in these ways. And my second um, concern is... If we ever have to get into an emergency management situation, like we did before with the schools and with the cities, um, did you have uh, any proposals for making sure that the results don't um, equal up to what they have been okay. um, right now? Okay, Ben, appreciate the call and the questions. Let's start with auto insurance. Uh, do you have a plan to reform auto insurance here in the state of Michigan? Yeah, absolutely. So as I get across the state, I mean, I've talked to person after person after person who talks about how they've got to look at the insurance bill before they even look at a car note. Um, We are so far out of whack with the rest of the nation. And the insurance industry has been writing the rules for a long time here in Michigan. And that's why I'm determined to work with all the stakeholders and sign something into law in the first six months of next year that actually brings rates down. There are some pieces that I think are really important of a solution. And one is We need to have real transparency around the catastrophic claims fund. Insurance companies should not be able to make rates based on non-driving factors like your credit rating or your marital status or your education level or zip code. I mean, these are are used against communities, and um, this kind of leverage and power should not be vested in the insurance industry, and that's critical to bring in rates down. But also, I think we can have that conversation about um, enforcing and ensuring that we take fraud out of the system. I know Governor Snyder recently did something on that front. I don't know that there's additional resources or people dedicated to it, and that's something that that I think is important to root out fraud and have some reasonable cost containments. But this system that we have was um, to make sure that people that are catastrophically injured have care, and I think that that's a, a, a goal that we need to be mindful of and um, stay stay committed to as well. So I think these are all pieces of a solution, but it's going to take a governor who knows how to convene people um, to to get it done and to insist that it's not a temporary or illusory, um, you know. Mm-hmm. benefit in the short term because this is about really giving people relief and making Michigan competitive and, and ensuring that every one of us has um, access to affordable car insurance. It's mm-hmm. not it's not too much to ask and we can get it done and we will. I know we only have a few minutes left uh, with you. I want to squeeze this question in though. It comes from Interlock and Public Radio near Traverse City. What should the state do about line five? Uh, if the Democratic Ticket sweeps this fall. Your attorney general would be Dana Nessel. She says she would sue 
to halt this tunnel project to create a new Line 5 route. She wants to shut down the line altogether. Uh, would you support her in that effort, or would you take a different approach? I want to get the oil out of the Straits of Mackinac at the earliest possible moment, and that's why I'm very um, skeptical of this agreement that Governor Snyder announced um, to bind the next governor to something that could be a threat to our, our economy and our way of life and our drinking water for seven to 10 years while a tunnel project is pursued is irresponsible and it's not something that I support. Um, as governor, I want to be able to go in there and take action um, in the safety and in the interests of, of the economy and of the people of the state. And I think it's it's wrong to try to bind the hands of the next governor. This is something that um, if, a cat, if a catastrophe happened, it would absolutely devastate um, our, our Great Lakes, which is one of the most unique, important features of, of the state of Michigan. It would hurt our, our agriculture, our tourism, our drinking water up and down um, throughout the state of Michigan. And it's something that we can't run, you know, quickly and, and needs to have real transparency. And so I'm, I'm very skeptical of it. And I've talked to enough people on the Mackinac Bridge Authority to know they were ambushed by this. And I, I think that that's a by the really tunnel project, dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think it's a really dangerous way to proceed on something that's this important and that the people of our state are very clearly telling us that they don't want that threat going through the Straits of Mackinac. So yes, you would, you would want to just turn off the pipe. Well, I've, I, I've never said I can turn it off on day one because I know a governor doesn't have right. a spigot in the governor's office. Right. But, <laughs> yes, I want to move expeditiously to get that oil out of the Great Lakes. And and suing to stop this tunnel project, if Dana Nessel wins and, and goes ahead with that, you would support her in that effort then? I think it's always been very clear Enbridge isn't going to do it of their own volition. It's going to take action, and um, I think that's, that's, that's how it would have to happen. Okay. All right. Uh, I would love to have you for the rest of the show and continue this conversation, but I know you have to run. But uh, Gretchen Whitmer, Democratic candidate for governor, I really appreciate you spending this time with me and our listeners. You always ask great questions, Stephen. I appreciate the work you do. <laughs> yeah, Thanks. We always have a great conversation. Good luck in the next couple of weeks as we wind up this crazy campaign. All right. Uh, up next, we are going to talk about how all of the statewide campaigns are doing in Michigan with some scandals emerging late in the cycle. Also, remember... If you don't get to listen to all of the show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation entirely. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.